this next story is about a remarkable life lived, one that uh, had many chapters, no pun intended. Jean Paré was from a small village in rural Alberta, and you may know her. I mean, she gained worldwide fame for her company's coming cookbook series. Uh, she passed away at the age of 95 on Christmas Eve, a sad time for any family to lose someone close to them. Uh, but it also is now an opportunity to look back at really an incredible Incredible accomplishment. Uh, she was raised in Irma, Alberta, which is about 100 kilometers east of Edmonton. And um, I mean, she built this company, helped build this company alongside her family, 200 uh, total companies coming cookbooks. Uh, and by the time she retired, an estimated 30 million had been sold back in, by 2011. Um, it is a remarkable story, no less because she released that first cookbook after spending years uh, working in food services, both as a with a restaurant and as a caterer, writing out recipes by hand, she wrote that first cookbook at the age of 53. Never, never, it's never too late to do something unbelievable in life, is it not? Um, you know, they really are seen as kitchen uh, cook workbooks uh, as much as anything else. Uh, but with more now on the incredible life lived, um, Jean Paré's granddaughter, Amanda Lovig Hag, joins me. Thank you so much for your time tonight. My condolences, first and foremost. That's always a really, it's really tough to lose someone over the holidays. Oh, thank you, Ben. But what an outpouring of sympathy for, for someone. I mean, I, I realized that a lot of homes, th these books put a lot of good food on a lot of tables over a lot of years. They did. Um, almost everybody... I know has a story of how companies coming has affected them personally. How did it, how did it begin? Because I was really, I didn't know that she had started writing these books uh, later in life, right? After having a, had a really long, successful or a long career in, in food. Well, um, my grandma, as you mentioned, was a successful caterer in the town of Vermilion. And she was spending so much of her time handwriting recipes out after every event as all of her customers would come up to her and ask for the recipe of the squares that she had served or the salad or something else they'd loved that evening. And she was doing that so much that my dad said to her, you know, mom, you've got to write a cookbook. And she agreed. So my dad decided to go into business with her. He was the business side of things and she was the creative force. And like you said, at age 53, she started an entire new career. What was her reaction to the success of it? Because um, it is remarkable to, to start at 53 and then know so much success over, over, over those next decades. Oh, totally. I can't imagine it. I'm 43 now, and I can't imagine in 10 years starting a new career that could be so successful and so life-changing at that point in life. Tell me a bit about, about the theory behind um, the cookbooks themselves. I think I heard your father describe them or, or uh, as workbooks. You know, that these, this was meant to be good food that you could make under, you know, normal circumstances in a regular kitchen. You didn't have to be a gourmet. That this was sort of practical good food that you could learn how to teach yourself to cook. Yes, that's what made companies coming recipes so successful and so relatable is that they called for common, affordable ingredients. Most of the items you either had in your home already or you could find them easily at a grocery store in any small town or, or city in Western Canada or on the prairies at the time. 
They also had um, a, a lay-flat binding so that the cookbook would lay flat on your kitchen counter, which is a really important thing. If you've ever tried to cook with a fancy cookbook that you can't keep open and you're kind of trying to prop it open with like soup cans and stuff while you're cooking, there's nothing more annoying. So my grandma's recipes also just worked. They were not fussy and they were just delicious and they had been tested until perfect and you could trust them. We knew um, most of the, the um, recipes also had full color photos that you could look at and the photos were always completely real. Never fake food, never touched up with hairspray or anything like that. It was uh, what you saw is what you get. Yeah, these days, you know, I, I, I make recipes with my phone, which is even more <laughs> ridiculous than, yeah. than a cookbook. <laughs> so you can barely see what you're doing half the time. Um, I read that 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 Jean tried every one of these, that these were all Jean Paré approved. Every one of these recipes had to be tested by her before they made it into, into print. Yep, that, that's absolutely true. Now, she did have some help with in our recipe factory in Edmonton. We had a full test kitchen where she had other employees helping her test recipes just because of the sheer volume of recipes she needed help but everything had to be tasted and approved by her what was um what were some of her favorites what were some of the things i mean everyone remembers their grandmother's cooking right i mean i remember mine and i picture food that we just don't you know unfortunately when um one of the beauties of, of your grandmother writing these cookbooks is that some of her recipes will survive when so much of that food sort of passes with the people, right? And that's one of the sad parts about losing a grandmother. So but uh, yeah, it's so true. I'm so lucky to have all of these, these memories in print in my basement and in my kitchen. I've got cookbooks all over the house because there isn't enough room to store them all in one place. Um, what were some her, of her? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Her favorite recipes, when asked, undoubtedly she would always answer anything chocolate. Chocolate was her favorite food. She loved dessert and um, would always choose something chocolate if she could. So I would say those were her favorites. And that's a lot of the reason that 150 Delicious Squares was her first cookbook. It was the last thing tasted. It was always the dessert final item at a catered meal and that's what people remembered first and that's why she loved desserts yeah squares i mean christmas just went by and you know obviously we don't have as many squares in my family as we did when my grandmothers were around but yeah there's nothing nothing quite beats the square it's a truly canadian kind of thing isn't it? i mean it's not but it feels like a canadian kind yep. of thing it is squares are they're so easy they're easy to to make they're easy to freeze to keep on hand um there's so many reasons that they're practical and they're delicious. Now, I was reading, of course, your grandmother was born in 1927, so I mean, she would have spent her childhood years through some tough times, right? The, the Depression years early and then the war years. It feels like we're heading into another kind of tough time, inflation-wise and so on. I guess um, the inspiration for what your grandmother's philosophy about cooking was in the company's uh, coming cookbooks is still very much relevant today, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. When I think of all the things she saw over 95 years, um, of course, I'm sorry that her last few years had to be the COVID experience. But at mm -hmm. the same time, um, how amazing for her to have seen the world in, in all these different stages, including a pandemic stage. 
Yeah. And and I guess just what some of the stuff, sort of the recipes and so on, they're, they're relevant today too. We are sort of food is expensive. You don't want to waste. You want things yep. that are simple, reliable, that everyone will like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she grew up in a family that did not waste food. There wasn't the luxury of that during the Great Depression or the war years. And she was also very practical that you just don't waste things. And um, if, if you have more of something, then you share it with others. And that was especially extended to families in need. When she was growing up, they would often have other families come over for dinner. Um, my grandma was always available to help anybody who was going through a hard time with a pan of squares or a warm casserole, something for the freezer. When you looked at um, where, I mean, 30 million cookbooks is a lot of cookbooks. Have have they been sold everywhere? Have they been sold all over the world? They have been. They have been sold all over the world. Um, Of course, they were most widely available in Canada and then the U.S., but thanks to the internet, um, you know, there became a time where you could find the cookbooks anywhere. And it's amazing. Anywhere we've gone in the world, because my grandma loves to travel so much, without fail, we would always find somebody somewhere who knew of her cookbooks and had a story about where they had first come across her cookbook or her recipes. So they really did totally span the globe. And I know that she retired, I guess, about a decade ago now, right? And, and you've continued yeah. on, right? You've continued on with, with, with the, the companies coming. Uh, what's the inspiration now? I guess the inspiration is a tribute to her, but, uh, but also, I guess, the, their, the company, the, the, whole, the whole venture continues to evolve. And it, it does. You know, when she retired, that did change a lot for the company. And Companies Coming was actually sold to Lone Pine Publishing in 2012. And so they have continued the legacy of her cookbooks and it's a tribute to her. They have other cooks and chefs working with them who are using her as inspiration with new recipes and we just hope the books will keep coming and live forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, any final, any final thoughts about, I mean, it's, it's, um, just think, just talking about it, it makes me want to learn. I, I, my vow this year was to learn how to bake new things, and I've never baked squares because it seemed too daunting, oh. to be honest. Oh, they're not daunting at all. You've got to try them. <laughs> if you're going to try them, I recommend you try my grandma's. <laughs> yeah. Anyone in particular? Do you have uh, my, my grandmother used to make these dream squares with this sort of green icing that was very sweet. They were great. <laughs> they were great. Oh, gosh. I don't know those ones, but my favorite are um, butterscotch confetti squares. Oh, those sound good. There's also um, never, never wrong to make a good old Nanaimo bar or a brownie or a lemon square. Lots of people like a lemon square because it's a lighter, kind of fresher taste at the end of a meal. You can't go wrong. So, There's so many to pick from. <laughs> I guess the best place to go is right back to that first 150 squares, right? Right, right back to the thing that the book that started it all. Exactly. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate you sharing uh, the story of both your grandmom and uh, and the company. Oh, well, thank you. I love chatting about her. So thanks for having us.